Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Well, welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Karen Tanelius. She is the CEO of Tough Leadership Training, and she's also the co-author of Mooseheads on the Table. Hi, Karen. How are you? Yeah. Hi. I'm really good today. Excellent. I love that topic of the book. It's just a, a crazy title. So I hope we get into that a little bit more later on. But let's start off with your capture question to confirm your humanity with us here today. I want to ask you this question. What is your favorite weather season? You're in Sweden. So tell me about Sweden. What's the best season in Sweden? Well, of course, the summer, because it's so cold in the winter, but my favorite month is August, uh, because then everything is starting up again and you become creative. Wow. Yeah, I like that. In Sweden, I'm guessing you have like those like really long days in the summer with lots of sunlight. Is that true? Yes, we have the midnight sun wow. even up north where the sun never sets. That's fantastic. It's always hard here. Like We just have like a little bit of that effect. We go to about 9 or 10 p.m. with sunlight, but... It's hard to, I have kids at home, so to convince them to go to sleep is a challenge at those ages. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, great. You are uh, well-versed and, and one of the leading experts in the, the concept of self-management. It's something that we've dabbled in trying to understand and explain to our audience about what that means. Could you just give us a, what's your favorite definition of when people talk about self-management, what does that mean? Well, to me, it means to give away all the authority and the mandate to a, to employees or team uh, and not give it halfway or having them helping out, but give the whole task to a team. And if you can also take away managers. When you tell that to people, what's their usual, like, how low does the jaw drop when you say get rid of managers? Yes, uh, Still, many are shocked, but that's not at all, you know, uh, in comparison to when I started uh, to talk about this 25, 30 years ago, then they sort of throw tomatoes at me. (laughs) Yeah. Excellent. So uh, when you're talking about giving authority, I think a lot of people would say, well, I'm already doing that. Like I already try to make people accountable for what they do and they have so much authority, but I think we're fooling ourselves a lot of times and thinking that we're self-managed. So what's the often the the chasm that people need to cross in, in this understanding? Yes. So in, in the Western world, working world, we we have known coaching leadership and involving leadership for many, many, many years now. And uh, we think because we read about it, we took courses in it, we think since we know it in theory, we think we do it. But no managers that I meet, they they don't do what they think they're doing. So it's yeah. a discrepancy between what you think you're doing and what you actually are doing. So it's a blind spot. And uh, here in Sweden, of course, we have the world's most democratic leadership style, very involving, very consensus-driven. But nevertheless, we have this hierarchical dynamics that we are blind to. So give me an example of a manager who thinks they're being you know, empowering to the, the people on their team versus one who's actually practicing self-management and is, has really given over all that responsibility. So the traditional manager role in, involves a lot of broadcasting and sending and talking and set out the vision and give instructions and have the answers and know everything. So it's a lot of talking, one can say. And uh, 
if you have a self-management team, you're in the background, you're, you're facilitating, you're asking questions, you're silent, and you're not in the way for your team. So you're saying uh, someone who's in a self-managed organization, and even like, I guess there'll be levels of self-management, of course, uh, different things, because like you said, there is no, in some elements, there are no managers at all. That's there. So maybe you can even help us understand that first before we go further. Like, what's the kind of spectrum that you see about self-management? Yes. So I always, I, I often talk about self-management in terms of principles, like organizing principles. So self-management can look very different in different organizations. Some have managers, but they have a different role, which is more supporting and empowering than steering and directing. And some uh, organizations, they took away the managers and it's just team-based, like the, the Dutch uh, organization Burtzorg with the nurses, mm-hmm. 14,000 nurses with no managers, for instance. But it can look differently. The, the, the key thing here is the principles like authority and mandate uh, that is distributed, for instance. So let's look at somebody who they feel like they have a fairly democratic system in their organization at this point. They let people make their own decisions. They give some responsibility out there and they, they hear about self-management. They say, this is really great. I'm going to pursue this more. I'm assuming you can't just say, okay, tomorrow we're going to become everyone self-managed and we're all done. So what are the steps to prepare the ground, so to speak, to create an environment that's good for self-management? Yes. So the first step is to grasp what it is and what it's not. Uh, And many people get like a a picture of it that's not true. And the picture often is then that it's a a solid concept. There is a a given way. It's like a a given process, which Mm. is not. So it's more like grasping the principles and uh, get that and get like a com- common view. If you're a management team in a company, you should know what you're talking about and not have 12 different ideas in your head. So, so talk about it and align what it means. And you can do that by listening to others that have done it and sort of educate yourself. And then uh, the key thing is to really give away the authority uh, to, to actually place the mandate in the teams. A good way to start if you're a bigger organization is to start in a pilot project, the IT, some IT team that is common, uh, familiar with the agile principles or so, uh, and just uh, extend it from there. Um, what is really crucial, and that's really my expertise, that is that I've learned by failing <laughs> that uh, the working climate, um, I mean, the atmosphere, the communication, that is really key that that works because in traditional uh, organizations, that is not that important that it is here. So it's a, like higher level of co- color, uh, collaboration with the people involved and therefore collaboration requires a higher level of communication, a higher level of trust a higher level of acceptance. And those factors is sort of forming a well-developed atmosphere of feedback culture, straightforward communication, resolving uh, misunderstandings and so on. And that is also easy to say that we should have such a culture, Mm -hmm. but really hard to 
actually it, it takes a lot of courage, patience, and for for key people, they have to be brave and lead the way here. Yeah. And be, you know, show their weakness and be human, really. Yeah. What are some things if a company came to you and said, Hey, we really want to do this, we believe in the idea of self-management. You mentioned collaboration, feedback, how you handle misunderstandings. What are some of the other things that you would look at in terms of how that company functions and maybe say, well, first address these issues and then you'll have that climate ready for self-management. Are there any other things you would look at? Yeah, just one more thing. And then it's the manager's way of leading. So you have to sort of be aware that for management uh, managers to, to shift their leadership to be an um, like empowering and involving facilitating management or leading actually that is really not easy that involves training the managers in another mindset in another way of relating to their teams uh, one can say that traditional leadership resembles the relationship between a parent and a child in a way mm-hmm. and What it takes is to confront that for managers, to confront that they are sort of being a bit of a parent in their fashion and replace that to something that is much more empowering. And that is more like equal, passive, uh, not driving, a lot of listening involved. And, And that is a big, big step for them to change. So I would say if you can, it's easier to take away managers because that makes the the road shorter to self-management. Is there another metaphor that you like to put in? Like if parent and child is kind of what we're at right now in a lot of traditional ideas, is there a better metaphor that you like to use? Yeah, there's like partner-based or adult-to-adult. Like no hierarchical dynamic. We are in this together sort of it's no it's this uh, hierarchical dynamics is taken away well let's get into we're called the digital workplace on this podcast so let's bring in the digital element of this yes self-management is something you can practice whether you're fully digital or not but what are some of the advantages and the reasons why living in this digital age makes self-management so much more appealing to some people or so much more possible well, it's like uh, the new generations, it's like really natural for them to work like this uh, because it uh, takes, I mean, it, it sort of unleashes engagement and responsibility, creativity. And younger generations, at least in Sweden, we have sort of left the obedience paradigm in schools and so on. So mm-hmm. when students come to workplaces, they they wouldn't accept the traditional hierarchies anymore. Um, so it's very a natural uh, way for them to to work. So so, and of course, the if you unleash engagement and responsibility, that sort of that effect you get from that is more profitability, more efficiency, lower uh, sick rate. You get uh, lower. T- uh, staff turnover. You you become attractive as you know a work uh, attractive as uh, so, so, uh, for people to work there and and so on. So it's so many advantages. I like what you said about the impact of school, especially you know the conditioning that that children go through as they become teenagers and, and into the workforce. And I feel like we'll t- talk to a, a leader who has a new hires, people in their early twenties, mid twenties or so that have come through. 
I feel like in the U.S. at least, we still have a little bit a pretty heavy obedience mindset when it comes to schooling. That's there. So if you have people who are used to that and come in and say, okay, I'm ready to work. You tell me what I'm supposed to do. And you say, you do what you think you're supposed to do. Here's the goal. What's the challenge of working with somebody like that, a young person or old person who is so used to that obedience mindset? How do you get them to unlock the, their potential? Yeah. Again, the key here is the managers, because if the manager starts to relate to them in another way, they will step in and and take their place, sort of. Uh, but when we work with big organizations, we work with the managers and they, they are the most difficult to to shift. Yeah. <laughs> and then we work with the co uh, uh, co-workers and they that doesn't take so long and for them the challenge is to to get that they have authority and yeah. and to sort of step into the game and that takes much less than it takes to shift hmm. the managers yeah that was going to be another question like who struggles more with this and it sounds like you're saying the managers to give up that responsibility struggle more than the people who are trying to figure out what it means to have it Definitely, definitely. Interesting. Well, you said you've been at this for 20 or 30 years talking about this, and you mentioned some some learning by failing as well before. Yeah. So tell me some ways that your understanding of self-management has, I don't know if matured is the right thing, but changed over, over the years. And what you're seeing is true now that maybe you didn't think was true 20, 30 years ago. So my source uh, of inspiration was uh, Ricardo Sambler from, from Brazil. I, mm-hmm. I wrote, read his book very early. And about 20 years ago, I got the opportunity to try out his ideas in a small hotel company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and this was in 1999. Uh, and I saw the, this effect that was totally mind-blowing. And then I took it uh, as a CEO in small companies and, and educated myself in how to relate to a group to have this happen, <laughs> this self-management. Yeah. Very early, I started to talk about this from stages. But as I said before, it was hard because people were laughing, ridiculing me, almost taking out tomatoes and throwing at me. So I, I stopped that uh, and uh, I built tough leadership training instead. Uh, and also bought some companies and transformed them to become self-managed, to to gain proofs um, mm. and evidence that this worked. Then, then the agile wave came, yeah. like eight nine years ago, and then and then reinventing organization, the book, which was really sort of impacting the whole world. Although we're just in the beginning, <laughs> so. I would not have dreamed of seeing this that we see now uh, because I counted with that this won't happen in my lifetime. Uh, but so it went quicker than I thought. Yeah. But still, I mean, yesterday I led a, a Swedish webinar here with people from big organization and uh, I interviewed a guy from a self-managed company with 700 and, and people were shocked because they haven't heard about it. So it's still under the radar so much. So that's how it looks. Yeah. And I feel like it's an idea whose time has come. It seems like right now, like you said, it's been a concept for decades and decades that's been around, but only recently are people really starting to experiment with it and to get through to things. What do you think is next? Do you think self-management like in the same way that remote work was also kind of an idea that was pretty much under the radar. There are a few companies out there that were completely remote, completely distributed, did great, great model. 
But then all of a sudden, this one thing happened in the world with coronavirus, and now everyone was exposed to it. Is there a potential for a significant thing like that to happen with self-management as well? Yes, I think uh, the the corona situation impacts the self-management development because people now have to take responsibility for getting their work done. So it, in a way, that sort of reinforces everything. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be so interesting to see what happens if if we come back to our offices and how the managers will deal with this uh, when, when people have been sort of yeah, self managed at home yeah. and and are they going to impose all the control again or not uh, yeah. that that's uh, so i think um yeah i think it was really uh, like a, a bust for uh for this but uh who knows we will see hopefully it does take off a, in a bigger way tell us a little bit about the new book Mooseheads on the table what's unique about this book and what's the pr- new perspective that you're bringing yeah so the book is the stories the early stories of my uh trying to uh, give the authority to teams. And the Moosehead metaphor is really because I saw that the atmosphere and the and, and the working climate was so important. So I invented tools to shift working climates for, from toxic and non, uh, non work, not working climates, like we and them, culture, silence, mistrust. Mm-hmm. So that's tough, we actually shift working climates from not working to working in a very short way. And Mooseheads is a tool in that. And Mooseheads is the Swedish version, really, of Elephant in the Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, by then, 20 years ago, we didn't have we had we didn't have um, that saying. We didn't import it yet. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knew about it in Sweden, but we have heard it, you know, abroad. So we transformed that saying to moosehead. So it's a moosehead lying on the table uh, and uh, nobody's talking about it. And it could be like we we have no trust for the managers. Is something weird going on that we can't talk about? So mooseheads is a a way to talk about the infected things and the sort of, yeah, uh, things that we have difficulties to discuss in a team. And of course, that has a grip on everything that destroys efficiency. I love it. And it's just such an exciting topic to get into and to learn more about. Let's close with this question. What do you feel like is the hardest part of self-management that most people don't expect? Like after they're into it for the first few years of getting through it, and then they hit a roadblock later on, what's something that people tend to not expect to happen, but is actually a very difficult thing to get over? I think uh, to really do it fully, that involves a time of turbulence, hmm. not chaos, I wouldn't say, because but turbulence. And people relate to turbulence as something wrong. Uh, it's like a process, a change process. And, and real change processes are really painful because it's a lot of insecurity. And companies hate insecurity. They hate insecurity. So they don't calculate with that period and they have really hard way a hard time to trust that this is going to work in the other end mm-hmm. but in the other end things will um, work but it's no way around this period of turbulence so that's a really uh, big challenge that i can see and 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 the risk then is that they say stop this doesn't work and then go back have you worked with a lot of companies that are like that that get to that turbulent time and they just have to give up on it? 
uh, not giving up, but we always find ourselves being sort of guides in that and, and have yeah. them trust it, trust it. it. The thing that's happening now, it's perfect because we can we can we have the experience of, of knowing that this will be good but they are become scared yeah <laughs> so we have to sort of comfort the managers and and the management uh, in that process yeah i think that word turbulence is such a perfect imagery because like if you're flying in a plane and you're 30,000 feet in the air and you feel that turbulence if it's your very first time on the plane you're freaking out because you're thinking yeah. oh no we're going to crash whereas the pilot knows like we're not going to crash. Like it may be a little rocky, but we're still going to get to where we're going. It'll get better. We'll be able to get over this. There are tools we can do, but all, all you can think about in, your, in the back is what if we die? Like we're, it, it's going to be horrible here. That's a really good metaphor. That's exactly yeah. how it is. Excellent. Well, Karen, where can people go if they want to learn more about uh, your work and self-management in general? Uh, they can go to our website, toughleadershiptraining.com. And mm-hmm. they can also add me on uh, LinkedIn, Karen Tenelius. Fantastic. Well, you have a lot of great resources. We expect to come back to you as we continue to try to expose our audience to new ideas. Uh, hopefully, uh, self-management doesn't become a new idea. It just becomes a regular idea yeah. very soon that, that people can implement. But we look forward to staying in touch with you and talking to you again soon and continuing this discussion. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level 5 digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.